I'm here at NGV Australia, an extraordinary, exciting new exhibition from Australian artist Liam Young. It's immersive, it's full of video and costume, all sorts of things. It's big ideas. And don't you, don't you sometimes wish, as you go to an exhibition like this, that you could call up the artist and get some words of explanation? Well, it just so happens that we can get Liam on the line. Liam Young, as I live and breathe. Hello. How are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm very well. Tell us where you are. So right now you are calling me in uh, glamorous Los Angeles as I sit inside the Hollywood machine uh, watching the picketers um, walk <laughs> the strike lines uh, as this machine has shut down uh, to a halt. since the early part of the year. So if there are yeah. any, any halts in your conversation, it will be due to the lack of a writing staff. Yeah, we'll be we'll be we'll be cro- crossing the picket lines, perhaps, um, in order to do this. Unfortunately, planetary redesign. It's uh, I, I must say, Liam, it's, it's it's a big thing for an individual to undertake as a project. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would also say that uh, the works in planetary redesign are anything but individual acts. I suppose, as you say, working on the planet as a project is a pretty large undertaking. And really all the work that's in the show is a collaboration between what I describe as a planetary network of uh, scientists, technologists, political theorists, environmentalists, and the the planetary council, if you will, (laughs) have all been brought together, I guess, under my curation, but they're all offering their own points of view. You are are the world government, apparently. (laughs) <laughs> it is um, uh, a whole. It is a, it is a it is a series of works born out of uh, conversation. Uh, tell us the about the, the the sense of urgency that underlies those conversations. Yeah, I mean, and and the the title itself for the planetary redesign is really trying to speak to this idea that at the moment, what we desperately need are new images of our future when we close our eyes and we think about aspirational or utopian futures, generally the images we see are kind of trees on rooftops and, you know, beautiful community gardens and people living in harmony with nature, growing chickens, you know, uh, and tomatoes and um, making food from local produce. But I would guess I would argue that they're images born out of some of the failed ideals from 60s and 70s environmentalism. Mm. And although idyllic in their description and imagery, they're no longer fit for purpose. And on the contrary, everything that operates at planetary scales, the scales of global climate change and the scale of the crisis that we now find ourselves in, are dystopian. You know, they're, they're the work of the Bond villain or the evil mega corporation. What planetary redesign is, to try, is trying to do is to sort of update our imagery for sustainable and aspirational futures, and, but, but dealing with them in a very pragmatic way and trying to bring into that vocabulary large-scale infrastructures, planetary-scale collective action, mega-scale vertical farm systems, and 
planetary networks of carbon removal, for instance. I, I, in, All things that, that... Sorry, go on. In thinking about this last night, I was the thought occurred to me that it, it presents a, a sort of a dystopian utopia. Yeah, in many ways, it's a dystopian utopia is perhaps a very apt way of describing where we're headed. You know, if we look out our window in many ways, we're seeing the dystopias of science fiction playing mm. out in real time. And really the solutions that we need right now no longer look like what we've been told hopeful futures would be. What's the role of the artist in, in, in presenting that, in, in offering that leap of imagination? I think in many ways artists, storytellers, have always been shaping fictions that have defined who we are and how we relate to the world. Fiction has always been this extraordinary shared language. It's always been how our culture shares and disseminates ideas. And right now, I think one of the big takeaways, I hope, from planetary redesign is this idea that climate change is no longer a technological problem, right? Or all of the technologies and the sciences that exist that, that are required to dig us out of this hole are already here. In many cases, they've been here for 10 or 15 years. Mm. And if we were to believe that, what it means is that climate change is now a cultural and political problem. And these are the spaces that architects and designers operate within, right? If we really want to make work that resonates in the context of this crisis, we need to make work that exists in a cultural space and engages general audiences in that conversation. As perhaps a small proof of, of the realm which we have that you're describing, I'm, I'm going to take advantage of this connection between... Uh, you in Los Angeles and me in Melbourne, uh, to, to reverse my phone and, and show you the exhibition <laughs> that you take me for a little guide. Are you happy with that? Yeah, let's go and uh, take a tour through some planetary imaginaries. Oh, well, here we go. That would be wonderful. This is where we begin. Tell me about this. Yeah, so right now we're, we're kind of basking in the warm glow of purple LED light that is illuminating a series of costumes that have been taken from the bodies of citizens in Planet City, which is an imaginary city, a future city for 10 billion people, the entire population of the world in 2050. And you know, the whole exhibition is glowing in this, in this purple light because what we're trying to do is, is I guess, take audiences and, and people like yourself into the streets of Planet City to stand beside the canals to hear the hums and crackles of flickering blue and red LEDs that both illuminate the exhibition, but also the imagined lower reaches of the Planet City farm fields. Ultimately, in order to grow produce at the scale and productivity and efficiency that we need in order to feed 10 billion people, we need to grow it indoors in large-scale vertical farms and plants need purple and red spectrums of light in order to photosynthesize most efficiently. So purple is very much the color of our future and that is the color that we're first greeted with and the, and as these, we enter. And these costumes that I see, they are at once a vibrant, beautiful and yet, in, 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 a, in, in some way, to my eye, to my eye in this moment, um, have an air of intimidation. 
Yeah, I mean, the what we're trying to do, in contrast to a lot of science fiction projects or science fictional cities that we see in popular culture that are typically works of dystopias, where we imagine a single globalized culture that has emerged and we all wear our unitards with our <laughs> no longer our names, but our numbers printed in ink on the lapel. This, this is not a Lululemon future. <laughs> no. What we tried to do is is capture Planet City in a moment of festival and carnival. Ah. In most images of our future, imagine that with sufficiently advanced technology, things like mythology, ritual, and folklore are evolved away from. But that's not the way that we relate to technology. That's not the way we relate to, to newness or deal with the unknown. And in fact, we use ritual and cultural practice as a way of assimilating and dealing with things that we find scary or difficult to understand. So we imagined that the, the life of this future sustainable, aspirational city would be filled with cultural difference, filled with dance, filled with festival. And we've captured in these costumes that you're greeted with when you first enter a series of new citizens of the city dressed in their festival gowns, performing their new roles that they might take on in the city. So. One of the costumes that you're looking at is worn by the algae divers of Planet City, where just like Venice, the streets of, of Planet City are, are actually algae canals, growing algae that's both used as a food source, but also as um, an energy system. The canals itself are also the batteries of the city because we store potential energy generated from solar and wind farms within the elevated water bodies that snake through the towers upper floors um, next to the algae divers you're seeing the the drone shepherds who were once tasked with you know managing cattle across landscapes now in the in the re upper reaches of, of planet city they're shepherding the drones that are used to fertilize the fields of wildflowers and to to pick the apples from from the vertical orchards and they wear the costumery of the the beasts of burden that they used to be tasked mm. with dragging across the land. It's almost and a buffalo dance. head. Yeah, exactly. The buffalo, which is this this creature that we used to task with, you know, doing the tasks um, uh, that we didn't want to do or we weren't strong enough to do. So they dance and perform the buffalo as a way of remembering the ways that we used to treat animals in the old world um, before we moved into a place like Planet City. And then besides the drone shepherd is the zero waste weaver um, who's wearing a yellow gown made from threads that have been recycled from um, other garments that have been unwoven and then rewoven. Uh, and we developed patterns for the clothing based on, uh, as I mentioned, zero waste patterns. So there is no waste produced in the dressing of the citizens of Planet City. Uh, I mean, uh, the other part of that, of course, is that it is herding humanity into this one location to let the remnant of the planet recover. Yeah, that's the thought experiment. I mean, I'm trained as an architect, uh, trained as an architect in Brisbane, Australia, actually. So I come at the design of this imaginary city from that perspective, thinking about its urban form, but really, the city is just a means to generate its opposite, a planetary scale mm. national park 
really what it, what we're doing is is extending the thought experiment from um, you know an iconic biologist called Edward O. Wilson, who imagined a proposal to save the planet that he called Half Earth, which was a plan to stave off mass extinction by devoting fifty percent of the planet to cities and human development as a means to leave the other 50% of the planet to nature. And that's, you know, a lot of, a lot of biologists have worked with that idea and have looked at how to scaffold the recovery of that 50% of nature that we've for the most part destroyed. But as an architect, I'm like, well, how the hell do we deal with this 50% of the planet that we're supposed to be um, developing as an urban form? You know, if, if today we have kind of urbanized almost the entirety of the earth, then that 50% represents the most radical reversal of planetary scaled sprawl. And we started working on that as the project. And that's really the beginnings of Planet City. And as we were going, what we realized is that at the density of even the current densest cities that already exist, like Manila, for instance, you could house 10 billion people, not in 50% of the planet, but actually in 0.02% of the planet, a city about the size of Texas. So that's what we did. That's what Planet City is. It's the most extreme version of the half thought experiment as a means to return almost 98, 99.8% of the planet to nature, to rewild the planet, to, to give back stolen land. It is such a, a simultaneously exciting and terrifying idea. I, I want us to walk <laughs> around the corner and explore it further as we go deeper into the exhibition. Yeah. We're, we're... So as we move around the, from seeing the physical costumes, we see a forest of photographs of these costumes um, in location. Uh, the costumes themselves are, are born out of a collaboration between myself and Anne Crabtree, who is, I call her the costumer for dystopia. She's, she's worked on, you know, TV shows like The Handmaid's Tale. She developed the iconic red gown and white cow that's now in America, such an iconic mm. um, uniform of protest, you know, after the Supreme Court. Um, banned abortions and, um, and and you know every other travesty that has been perpetuating in the last uh, couple of years. Um, she designed the costumes for Westworld, um, for Apple's new series Invasion, and we worked together to make these costumes. And then an amazing photographer, Dryly S, who is normally tasked with photographing the lives of celebrities like Beyonce, Pharrell, and Kanye, she photographed these costumes. Um, cited throughout Los Angeles in these strange incongruous relationships between costumes of, of a distant future yes. and the realities of everyday Los Angeles. What, what it suggests to me too about, and this, this goes to so many other layers of human interrelation in this planet city, uh, is that we, we will be forced into sort of various emphases Certain aspects of our behaviour will be exaggerated in the absence of other aspects. That costume, for example, if we will we'll take on a greater importance if we are all somehow homogenised in this space. This this pursuit of individual difference will take on all sorts of different yeah. manifestations. I think again, it's it's trying to sit in contrast to so many other sci-fi cities that we know that that these futures imagine that when we live more densely that we'll all start to look and, and act the same. We'll have Star Trek actually, uniforms. I, yeah, exactly. But I think what you see happening 
in the densest cities of the world is, is actually the opposite, that you get this extraordinary collision of difference where you actually are exaggerating the differences between different groups that, that occupy that city. And mm. that produces both tension and friction, but also everything that's wondrous and exciting about what we've known from cities to be. You've, you've given some helpful uh, statistics here on this corner. One city which comprises, among many other things, uh, 165 stories, 49 billion solar panels, uh, 23 million 310 and 23 birthday parties per day and 6 million 396 867 dentists. This is a tremendous level of detail there. Yeah, we, we, we like to include this kind of fact sheet of the city um, talking about like how, how many heads of lettuce a city of 10 billion mm. people consume, how many tomatoes, how many fruit trees, how many languages are spoken, 7,047 languages in Planet City are spoken, but also how many kilometres of protected park would be created because of this act of degrowth, this act of retreating and shrinking from the cities that we know. And we have those real numbers there as a means to try and communicate to audiences that this isn't a fiction, right? Like so much mm. science fictional cities imagine new technologies. You know, they've, they've solved fusion reaction or they invent some new building material that's lighter than air so that the cities float or they exist on some alien planet. But, but this city is actually, for the most part, it's a city of today. There's no new technologies created to make this city work. We've worked with scientists and technologists to crunch the numbers to literally figure out how many kilometers of hydroelectric canals we would need, how many solar panels we would need to create enough energy for 10 billion people, how many algae farms, how much fish the city would consume, so that it's actually a real working model of a city. It's a thought experiment. The, actual, the actuality of that and city yes. is absurd. Um, and I'm not advocating here that I've I've solved the problem and we should all pack our bags and, and move off to Planet City. We should start breaking down and building it. But really what that data set on the wall is trying to talk about is the idea that if we can get Planet City working at this most extraordinary scale, then there's literally nothing stopping us reimagining and redesigning a city like Melbourne or Los Angeles yes. where I'm based around it's, these ideals and hopefully that's the real takeaway from the show. It's a great challenge to urbanism and, and the numbers you present, the, the, that documents our current reality in a way, just accumulated in a space. Yeah, exactly. And ultimately, you know, we can talk about the absurdist fiction of Planet City, but the real fiction at the core of this project is the idea that we can continue making cities yes. as we have done throughout the history of modernism. The real fiction is that the denial. Idea that we can... <laughs> exactly, exactly. Here we, here we come to the, the, main, the main screens here, which we, we see the city presented before us. Yeah, so what we're watching here is a 365-day procession that moves through the city, captured as an animated film. And again, one of the first things we did in making that list of data on the wall is we calculated just how many things like births, deaths, marriages, cultural holidays and festivities would happen in a city of 10 billion people. And if you, if you map that on a calendar, you realize that almost every day 
there's something extraordinary happening. The city is one perpetual carnival. So this film is, is trying to document that endless procession through the city as a means to talk about its cultural life. Because again, so many science fiction cities don't, don't show the subcultures of the city. Um, they might show, a, you know, a group of renegade revolutionists trying to overthrow the corporate dictators of that dystopia. But what we're trying to do is to talk about the people that would live in that city and how their lives would be changed to try and get us to think about what might the necessary lifestyle changes that might be required in order for us to actually live more compactly and densely. And that's, that's such, a, um, such an urban question. And, and I mean, what this, what this raises too is, is the, the fine detail. The, there's something, something here about the, the fact of human interrelation, that the things that we need to thrive as humans are things that can be found... In, in very confined space, that we are people of each other and people of, of those intimate interrelationships. And that's, that's a thing which can be accommodated in something compact and intensely urban. Yeah, I think so. I mean, at the same time, I'm sure there's plenty of people listening or that would see the show. There's certainly plenty of people that have come up to me after I've done lectures or my TED Talk or whatever it is to say that uh, you know, they would never live in a place like Planet City, that, that they would never want to give up their garden or their house in the country. And some people, you know, come at that question in a very different way than you and mine, right? Hmm. Where they would see the necessities that they require to live are very different in scale to those that we might be afforded in the density of Planet City, and I guess ultimately that's part of the conversation that I want to start with these projects because right now we're faced with a choice, right? We can choose to start consolidating our urban form and retreating um, from these sprawling landscapes we've created and live more compactly and densely. Or we can stop having children. <laughs> if we want to live in a house with a four-car garage and eight bathrooms and seven bedrooms and 19 LCD screen TVs streaming Netflix to our eyeballs, then we can do it. We just need to do it at about three or four billion people. We can't do it at 10 billion, which is where the graph says we're headed in mm. the next 30 years. So which future do you want to subscribe to? You know, the future where we depopulate and continue living in the luxurious life, life, lifestyles that we're accustomed to or to, you know, start to consolidate and start to retreat to a form like Planet City. Liam, thank you. The, the thought experiment, experiment is, is both wondrous and terrifying, but as you say, is f food for thought in perhaps not the scale that you have presented, but in the scale that <laughs> which we can... <laughs> at the moment, inhabit and, yeah. and could perhaps inhabit better. Thanks so much. I enjoyed the tour. Great to see it. Wandering there with Liam Young and his exhibition Planetary Redesign is on at the NGV Victoria until February. If you're passing, absolutely drop in. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.